Let's pray. Acts chapter 18. Father, God, make us hungry. Lord Jesus, you said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord God, anyone that seeks, finds. You said that. Matthew 7, 7. Seek and ye shall find. Knock. The door shall be opened unto you. Lord Jesus, may we seek today. May we knock. And may our hearts be answered. May our minds be answered. May our spirits be answered by you. Father, we we long for you. Help us find you. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Picking up where we left off last week, we started in Acts chapter 18. This is when Paul comes to Corinth. This is how the church gets started. We talked about for 18 months, a year and a half, Paul was in Corinth. He starts in the synagogue preaching the gospel to the Jews. Uh, Not long after that occurs, he shakes the dust off of his robe at them. They will not, some of them believe. Christmas, the leader of the synagogue, believes. Some believe and go with Paul next door to a man named Titius Justice House, and they start the church picking up in verse 24 of Acts chapter 18. I want to read this before we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, because there are some familiar names. And I want you to know who these people are. We talked about Priscilla and Aquila last week and Apollos briefly last week. But I I want you to, to see in the text who these people are. So beginning in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. That's the Old Testament. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So we've got this guy named Apollos who is an itinerant preacher. He's in Corinth for a while. He moves to Ephesus for a while, and he's a public speaker. He is a... Oh, what's that Tony guy's name? Tony, uh, the the self-help guy? What's his name? Robinson. Robinson, That's it. Robbins, Robinson, whatever. Meet the Robinsons. I don't know. He's one of these guys who just goes around, crowds follow, because he, he speaks really well. He is a great upfront guy. The only problem is he doesn't understand the gospel. Nothing worse than a well-spoken person who doesn't understand the gospel, amen? He only knows the baptism of John. What's the baptism of of John? Repent. You're a sinner. Repent because God's coming. God's fixing to do something and you need to be ready for what he's doing. That was the baptism of John. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he needs a Savior. The problem is he just doesn't know who the Savior is. Even though he knows about Jesus and says right things about Jesus. Jesus lived. Jesus had 12 followers. Jesus said this parable. He he knows some of the things that Jesus said. 
And he communicates those things effectively, but he doesn't fully understand that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus lived the perfect human life that you and I have not, and that he died in our place for our sins. And when we confess and believe in our hearts and in our minds and with our mouths, the Lord Jesus, that he was raised from the dead, we shall be saved. He is the Savior. So what happens He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, praise God for Priscilla and Aquila. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So I just, you know, it's funny. I see Paul driver over there in the back. I just saw him coming in. He, how many of you know the drivers, Donna and Paul? Aren't they precious people? They just kind of remind me of Priscilla and Aquila. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to call you guys out this morning. I know it's embarrassing. But they're, they, they don't stand up in the middle of service and go, uh, wrong. No, but they're gentle. And they take Apollos off to the side. And they're like, let us help you. You've got gifts. You've got talents. You've got some good things going. Let us help you get it Right, we need more Priscilla and Aquilas in the church, amen? We should all strive and long to know the gospel well enough that we can help other people along in the way, the way of Christ. So Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Turn to 1 Corinthians. So Apollos becomes this powerful tool in the hands of God for the gospel because people in the church put their arms around him and helped him grow. And we all need help, amen? None of us. Listen, before we get into some some difficult stuff here in 1 Corinthians. We all need to understand we are not the experts. We need Christ. We need Jesus. We need help. We need each other. God puts us together as his gathered people in his name for his glory that we may grow alongside one another. We're here to help one another. That's why all those one another verses are in the Bible. Spur one another towards love and good deeds. Fan the flame in one another. Love one another. Serve one another. We need each other. And this is who Priscilla and Aquila were in the church. And this is who Apollos became in the church. We're going to see his name again. Let's start in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you brothers. Now, how many of you remember last week? Some good stuff. Paul greets this church. He's writing a letter to this church. He had planted this church. He loves this church. He wants to see this church succeed. And so he's writing 
to them, giving grace and peace in the Lord Jesus to them, and being thankful for all the things that he sees the grace of God doing in this church. Remember, it was the grace of God that had been given. Paul's thankful. The grace of God had been given to them. He's thankful that they're being enriched by the grace of God. They're, he's thankful that, that uh, they are, uh, the grace of God has been confirmed among them. They're re- they really are Christians gathering together for the right reasons, for the right purpose to honor and worship and glorify King Jesus. And it was the grace of God that sustains them. But in verse 10, something happens for the next several chapters. Paul moves from affirmation to confrontation. Oh, confrontation? Surely no Christian should ever be involved in confrontation. You know, I don't don't know where we get some of the ideas that we have about Christ and Christianity and our role and purpose here in the world. The gospel is a confrontational force. It, just like Jesus, uh, knocked Paul off his horse on the road to Damascus. You guys remember that story? Why are you kicking against the goats, Paul? Bam! The gospel is confrontational and we who serve the Lord Jesus in this world must be confront not just not confrontation for confrontation's sake but sin is the problem in this world and there is a solution to sin. His name is Jesus and people have to be told about him. Paul writes to this church, is thankful for them, affirms them in the faith, confirms the grace of God is upon them, but now begins to smack them in the chest. Now, this church had written some things to Paul and asked some questions. We're going to get to chapter 7. Just flip over to chapter 7 real quick. Let me show you something. Chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Chapter 7 forward is where Paul begins to answer some of the questions that this church has. Theological questions, practical questions about being single, being married. Just really practical stuff. We all have practical questions. By God's grace, the Bible has the answers. Amen? But here in verse 1, All the way to chapter 7, Paul's going to confront them on things that they didn't want him to know about. They didn't ask questions about this stuff. Paul heard through the rumor mill some things that were going on here in the church. And Paul wants them to know that he knows what's going on and he wants to correct their thinking, and in correcting their thinking, correct their behavior. You know, when Sarah and I had our third child, Briar, we knew something immediately was, was different. 
It, <laughs> I hope Briar's not in here. That's not how I meant it. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're having a baby, the poor, and ladies, you poor ladies, man's contribution to childbirth is, is kind of stupid. What women have to go through to, to bring children into the world, it's, just, it's, it's an amazing, beautiful, wonderful, terrible, terrifying thing. You know, when I get to stand there, oh, I cut the cord, look at me, I'm a surgeon. <laughs> it's just not fair. <laughs> it's just not fair. But when Briar was born, I mean... The crying wasn't in the room. There was the, the nurses were a bit frantic. We knew something immediately was different than, than other kids that we had had. And, of course, they, they wheeled him off, and he was in the NICU for a little over a week. His lungs were not fully developed. And, and of course, just standing there, and Sarah's being sewn back together, and right, you can smell that burning flesh and all the stuff that happens in those rooms. Oh, you guys that haven't been there, you just wait. You just wait. It's an experience. So I asked one of the nurses, what, what's happening? What's going on? Why, why can't we hold? Why, why is he not crying? And the nurse looked at me and she said, and this is, this is true. Look it up. This is a true thing. She said, oh, he just has wimpy white boy syndrome. <laughs> and I was like, are you racist? <laughs> But it's a real thing. When, when, uh, and it happens a lot with young boys. It's actually pretty normal. Happens quite a bit. Uh, lungs don't develop, and they're just they're kind of feeble when they're born, and they just need some extra care until those lungs develop. But they actually call it wimpy white boy syndrome. And the church, I think, has developed the same thing. Just, we, for, for some reason, the world has pushed us back in a corner and said, you don't get to speak. Your voice doesn't matter. Many years ago, I, I sat down with a, uh, a guy that was studying at KSU, and he wanted to meet with me. He had questions, and he had learned from his poli-sci teacher over there at KSU that, that Christians have an agenda, and that's why they shouldn't be allowed in the public square to debate or to, to push for their agenda. Those mean, old, dirty Christians, they're the ones with the agenda. And after hearing him pontificate, because every 20-year-old kid knows all the answers. I've been there. You were there, right? We learn and God humbles. And after listening to this kid pontificate for a while, I just said, do you think Christians are the only ones? I said, you're right. Christians do have an agenda. But do you think Christians are the only ones that have an agenda? Do you think anyone else in the public square speaking doesn't have an agenda? And he just kind of, he, he gave me that, you know, when a dog kind of looks at you sideways. Because <laughs> it dawned on him. Everybody has an agenda. And guess what strengthens other people's agendas? To silence Christians and their agenda. 
And the church has been pushed into a corner and told to shut up, to not speak, to just sit there. You, you can exist, but just don't try to infect anyone else with your belief system, with your agenda. But it is the Christian agenda that brings life. We beheld his glory, John said in chapter one. God became flesh, our only hope. Listen, how many of you have tried to do it your way? Where does it lead you? Where does it go? Does it lead to happiness and joy? We can all say no. Been there, done that. It is the Lord Jesus that brings joy. It's the Lord Jesus that brings hope. It's the Lord Jesus that brings life. We'll never have it any other way. It's why even the, the wealthiest among us, the most popular among us, I mean, how, how many Charlie Sheens do we have to see? To understand that it's not out there somewhere. Purpose, meaning, life. It's not out there somewhere. It's right here. And it's why confrontation is necessary. Because we, even those of us who love Jesus, we can get better. We can grow and continue to mature in Christ Jesus. And I know some of you hate it when I say mature. It's mature. I think it's mature. <laughs> I appeal. And now notice this confrontation. Paul's not just a jerk to be a jerk. He loves these people. It's why he says, Adelphos, brothers. This is family language. It's the way that you would speak to your kids. Every father knows that heartfelt plea to their sons and to their daughters because you want them to grow. You want them to experience life and everything that God has for them. So you appeal to them. And you, try to, you try to give wisdom that God has given you from his word. This is what Paul is doing here. He is appealing to them as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. It's who we are. When we actually get down to the divisions that are happening in the church, remember that brothers and sisters should not be divided. We should be united in mind. United in faith, united in courage that Christ gives. I appeal to you, brothers. This appeal comes from where? From the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, God never says we have to be uniform. We're not all going to look alike we're not all going to dress alike. We're not all going to watch the same things on Amazon Prime. Some of you are Yellowstone fans. Some of you aren't. I mean, the world's divided into two groups at this point. <laughs> God doesn't say we have to be uniform. We're not uh, uh, automaton uh, robots from Disney World. It's a pretty good robot, right? 
We don't have to be automatons. But we do have to be united. And where does our uniting come from? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's his name. His name is how you and I can stand together locked arm in arm. Look, some of you may be fish and chips and some of you may be bangers and mash. But we can still be arm in arm locked together. Little Irish food brings us together. No, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, here's the problem. Divisions happen. Paul is writing to a church. A church that the grace of God is clearly seen in. The grace of God has been confirmed among them. But there are divisions within the church. And how many of you know divisions are most of the time so Really, the things we fight about. Did you know that it's, it's been sociologically proven that all of us need to fight? Psychologically, in every human being, there is a fight. We need to punch somebody. We just do. Which is why the world is such a wreck. Because the things that people choose to fight about most of the time are not serious or important enough for us to waste our breath or waste our energy on. And this happens in the church as well. Easter's coming up. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. Three families are going to leave the church. (laughs) Happens every year. How can a church like this practice pagan rituals? You celebrate Christmas in December? I hate to tell you, that's a pagan ritual too. But it's been redeemed. It's been Christianized. Jesus is the reason for the season. But some people... Kids shouldn't have fun at church. How dare we give free candy to the children? Scrooge. That's why we have, and moving into this thing, man, I grew up in church. I know how mean Christian people can be. I I know... Sister so-and-so sitting there with her lip furled and her arms crossed and she doesn't ever have anything good to say. Sweet little lady. (laughs) When we planted this church, I just knew that we were going to be better. We were going to do it different. And so we formulated what we're going to be united in and what we're not going to fight about. Listen, all of us, There's not a person in this room who doesn't believe if they had five minutes in the Oval Office, they could straighten everything out. But what happens is so easy. It's so easy in our armchair 
with our remote control in our hand to have all the answers. It's a much different thing to sit in the chair with the weight of responsibility placed upon you where you see the complexity of all that is going on. It's different in the chair of responsibility. We laid out, here's the things we're not going to fight about. Because how many of you, you've been at Thanksgiving table and you watched that movie? That's rated R. Christians shouldn't watch rated R movies. You're not a Christian. (laughs) Secular music. I listened to Queen on the way over here this morning to prepare my mind for this message. Call me Mr. Fahrenheit. <laughs> All right, when I, when I got saved, I was told, that Grateful Dead belt buckle, it's got to come off. It goes into the fire. All my CDs, all my records, because that's what Christians did. Some of you partake in foods that others don't partake in. Some of you partake in uh, liquids that other people don't partake in. <laughs> I'm not talking about cough syrup. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that we can fight one another about. But God says, Man, don't fight. Live and let live, right? Don't fight about the small stuff, the insignificant stuff. Unite where it matters most. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're sitting next to somebody who didn't vote the way that you voted in the last election. But guess what? We can still be brothers and sisters together, united in what is the most important. There's a lot of different visions for this world, but there's one vision that's going to be fully realized, and that's the vision of Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Amen. We can unite, and this is what Paul's hope is, uniting the church in what's most important. Because what are they divided about? Let's see. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Now, Chloe, this is the the only place in Scripture where we find her name. Evidently, she is a traveler, probably a business person who travels back and forth from Corinth to Ephesus. We know that uh, Paul is in Ephesus when he writes this back to the church in Corinth. So, So Chloe is a member of the church. We believe in Corinth, but as she travels, she, she fills Paul in and, and her business associates fill Paul in on, on what is happening with the church that, that he's been away from for some time now. So Chloe's people are telling Paul what is happening, things that they've written to Paul but didn't ask about, didn't tell him about, but he's found out. And it's through Chloe's people, it's been reported that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Quarreling. How many of you parents, when you get in the car to go somewhere to eat, you just stopped asking your kids where they wanted to go? We got smarter, didn't we? 
When you got four kids in the back, you don't ask, where do you guys want to go? Because guess what? There's 10 answers, and none of them are the same. And it's just a big old quarrel. It's a fight. Where are we going to get a hamburger? Look at James chapter 4 quickly. Some of you got in a fight in the car on the way here this morning. What causes quarrels? I love this verse. My kids have memorized this verse. We've talked about this verse over and over and over the last 20 years that I've been raising kids. James is going to be 20 this year. Can you believe that? That is nuts. I don't, I don't look old enough to have a 20-year-old kid, do I? No, I look 13. Because every time there's unrest in the home, there is a reason. And the reason can be pinpointed. The Bible tells us where quarrels and fights come from. James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Wouldn't you like to know the answer? God has the answer. Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. So why are jails full today? You want something and you don't have it. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What causes fights and quarrels? When we want something and don't get it. The root of every fight you have with your spouse, of every disagreement you have with your children, maybe it's respect you want that you're not getting, maybe it's control in the house that you want, but you're not getting. But every fight, every time somebody is unhappy with somebody else and a fight breaks out, it's because our desires, our passions are at war within us. We want something that we're not getting. So we fight with one another. And who in the world has everything they want? Nobody, which is why the world is such a basket case mess right now. Nobody has what they want. So we just, we shoot and we fight and we throw punches and we use words. I have a rule in my life now. It started last year. Started uh, amongst our staff. There were there's con- there were conversations happening in, in corners that not everyone was privy to, and people were being talked about that are, were part of the staff, but uh, but they, they didn't know. And I realized that I was part of the problem. And I read several books, and I just I, I made a. a, a an honest effort. There's nothing that comes out of this mouth about another person that I don't go to them and tell them if I do say something. That's just my MO right now. Don't, because it's easy. It's easy to talk about someone else. It's easy to judge other people. 
But you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. And if you do it, you need to sit down and have a conversation with them and say, this is the way that I've been feeling about you. And I even told this person about it. I've had to do this with three different people in the church. I've had to go to them and say, I said something about you, and here's what I said, and I'm sorry. Because we should be united in Christ Jesus and not divided. And isn't it true? The divisions are always over something so stupid. So stupid, so silly. We gotta grow. We've gotta grow. Back to chapter one. For it has been reported by Chloe's people there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Here's the big division in the Corinthian church it's over the leadership, it's over who, who's preaching the sermons. As if God's word is not the same regardless who speaks it. Some of you say, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. There's our, there's our witty grandmaster speaker that has moved from Corinth to Ephesus and is preaching all around that Priscilla and Aquila have helped out. Some say, I follow Cephas. Cephas is the, the name of the apostle, Peter, Simon Peter, the first called of the 12 from the boat where he sat with his father as a fisherman. Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So, so Peter had evidently come to the church in Corinth and visited for a time and had preached there. And so the people in the church are all claiming different Leaders, what we like, and isn't it true there are people we just like more than others? I really like Zach Galifianakis. I just do. <laughs> I really like, who's the albino guy, the comedian, the stand-up? I quote him all the time. Jim Gaffigan. I like Jim Gaffigan. The albino. <laughs> That's his own joke. So there's some there's some comedians I just, I can't watch. There's other comedians I really love, and it's the same in the church. We all have preachers that we like. It's why most of you this week you've been on Desiring God's website at some point. Maybe you were on Grace to You at some point. Maybe you were on Doug Wilson's website at some point. Right? There's, there's those speakers that we identify with, that we love. We just love the way they say it. Maybe they have a wit about them or a humor about them, or maybe they're just so good at articulating God's word. It's okay to have somebody you like better. Amen? It's not okay to divide when they're not the ones presenting the word. And by God's grace, our church has really grown in this. You know, when I used to take a, a Sunday off, my phone would blow up. Where are you? We hate it when you're not here. <laughs> by God's grace, that doesn't happen as much anymore. And by God's grace, hasn't God given some great leaders to this church? 
Praise God, man, for, yeah, put your hands together. Praise God for Pastor Jeremy, who's usually sitting on the front row. I call him out, and he's not here. Awesome. <laughs> Pastor Nick, man, he can th- man, that guy can throw a sermon straight down the middle, amen? Did you guys see Scott Valiani a few weeks ago, our, our student director? God, I wanted to kiss him on the mouth after that sermon. <laughs> I'm taking him out tonight for his birthday. I just may kiss you, Scott. (laughs) Gabby's like, no, you're not going to kiss him. (laughs) What a powerful sermon from Psalm 11 by God's grace. But here's the thing. We want more. Just this past Wednesday, young J.J. Purnell, was that the first time he preached on a Wednesday night? J.J. Purnell threw us gospel strike. Amen. Praise God. People can't learn if we don't give them opportunities. They can't grow if we don't give them a platform and a place to to strive for God and to use the gifts that God has given them. Uh, uh, Sweet uh, Jayla up here singing this morning. Praise God, amen. God to provide for others a chance, an opportunity. So praise God for our favorite people. But praise God for new voices. And new ways, new personalities to hear God's word through. Never walk into church. And if the person who you want to be on stage is not on stage, don't come in and go, oh, this is going to be terrible. Because guess what? If you think that, it's going to be terrible. But if you sit down and you say, you know what? God's word is God's word. And anybody can proclaim it. And so I I, I want to hear what God, you will always hear what God has to say if you're listening to God speak through his word. You'll never be disappointed. Praise God, amen. God is so good at helping us grow through the the simple things that divide us. They're, They're divided over leaders. Now watch this. I follow Peter. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. There's always that self-righteous. There's always that one. So spiritual. So much better than everybody else. Well, I don't follow any man. I only follow Christ. This is for the person. Why did Paul put this in here? It's for the person who doesn't even think they need the church. It's for the person that thinks they're higher and better and smarter. You're not. We all need each other, and you're not an island to yourself. It's not just you and Christ by yourself out there. No, you need to be in here. You need the human leaders that God puts in your life. It's not just you and Christ. It's all of us, brothers and sisters together who should not be divided in these ways. This is a good sermon, amen? Amen. It's God's word. So if it's not good, you're not a Christian. Get out of here. (laughs) Paul answers. And you got to love Paul. 
Three rhetorical questions Paul asks here. Some of you say, Apollos is my guy. Some of you say, Paul is my guy. Some of you say, Christ is my guy. But is, first question, is Christ divided? Question mark. Was Paul crucified for you? Question mark. Don't you, don't you hate it when someone asks you a question and you just don't want to give the answer because you know you're wrong just by the question that's been asked? That's what Paul's doing here. He's just awesome. Was Paul crucified you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? <laughs> the rest of this section, Paul talks about baptism, and it's important. I thank God that I baptized none of you. Somebody asked me one time, and this is before we had the cow trough. <laughs> Remember we had that big, kind of like a mini pool you had to put together, and I had the liner that went in, and it just, it was a train wreck of time. Uh, a lot of energy, a lot of effort getting that thing up and down. But somebody came up and asked me, because, you know, I don't do a lot of the baptisms. Somebody came and asked me when this was several years ago. They said, do, do you not like baptizing people? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? I love baptizing people. Baptizing people is the greatest, man. When people say, I want to, to, to make my confession in Christ Jesus publicly known to all my brothers and sisters in the room, that I am one of you in Christ. That's a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing. I love baptism. I've got, a, I've got a book this thick called Baptism Through the First 13 Centuries. Just walks through the church and, and, and baptism. I love baptism. They're, but they thought I didn't like baptism because I never baptized anybody. When the reality is, it's hard to get out of a bathtub soaking wet, go change and be back on stage in five minutes ready to preach. Paul's the same way. Paul's busy preaching and teaching, and other people are doing the baptizing as people believe. And Paul says, those of you who, oh, I follow Paul. He's like, I'm so glad I didn't baptize you, because that would give more credit to the argument that you're dividing with other people on. It doesn't matter who does the baptizing. What matters is that Christ is proclaimed and people believe and are baptized. Paul's not downing baptism here. Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. It's why we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But what Paul is doing is some of you think too highly of me, and I'm so glad I didn't baptize you, because then you just walk around going, well, I was baptized by Paul. Paul says, I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. Which, by the way, ladies, if you're pregnant and having a son, Gaius, probably not the best name. Crispus, way better. Crispus, remember, was the leader of the synagogue who got saved. Paul baptized that guy. 
And it was awesome, but he's glad he didn't baptize anyone else so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. And then Paul kind of does a little reflection to make sure he's writing what is true. He's like, ah, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to love the humanness of the God-breathed word. God uses people, and he uses people like Paul, and it should make you feel better about yourself. Because <laughs> I talk to some people, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you guys have been married for how long? You married us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do remember that now. <laughs> Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, listen to who wrote, just keep that last verse up on the screen. Think about who is writing this. One of the most eloquent men in the ancient world. Educated. Two PhD degrees. The equivalent of in our day and age. Paul was educated. You know where he came from. Uh, Tarsus was the, the intellectual capital of the world at the time. Before Alexandria. It had the largest library. He comes from an educated scholastic place. He was an educated and scholastic man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the who's who. Of all the people, all the young men in the Pharisee party, he is the rising star trained by Gamaliel himself, the greatest rabbi alive, handpicked Paul and was training and discipling Paul to take over for him. We've read Paul. We just went through Romans not long ago. Paul is... Eloquent, and like Peter says, sometimes he's so smart, he's hard to understand. If you've ever been reading Romans and scratched your head going, what does this mean? You're in good company. Peter was the same way. Paul is an eloquent, witty, smart, logical man. His arguments are airtight. His use of rhetoric. He writes this. I didn't come to you with eloquent wisdom. Paul's hope is not in himself. Paul's hope is not in his argumentation. Listen, I, I pray the same prayer every Sunday morning. I was just back in the office praying it before I got on this stage. Every person who ever tries to speak the words of God to others hopefully has this same heart and this same mind of Paul. God, if you don't show up, I'm going to wreck it all. 
God, if you don't show up, nothing good is going to happen. Our hope, our trust is not in our ability to communicate. Our hope and our trust is in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and that cross alone. That's the power that breaks a man's heart. That's the power that uh, turns stone into something soft and pliable. Our human hearts. It is who God is. It is what God has done. Living the perfect life that we have not. Dying in our place for our sins, showing us our sin that we can come and fall at his feet and experience forgiveness. Our sins absolved, paid for. There's a penalty for it, but it's been paid for through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the power. And may there never be a time where we gather in this room or in some other format where the cross of Jesus Christ is not lifted high for all to see. Just like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. We just walked through Exodus. A little later on, we would have got to the bronze serpents. God's people complained, moaned. They were divided over leadership. Who are we going to follow? Let's choose somebody. Let's kill Moses. Let's choose somebody else. Let's go back to Egypt is what they wanted. People hate change. They'd rather be slaves in Egypt than for change to occur. When God has this beautiful new land that flows with milk and honey, but they get tired on the journey there and want to go back. Let's get rid of Moses. God sends snakes to bite them and they're dying of the poison from the snakes. But Moses raises up a bronze serpent by God's command. And he tells the people, if you're bitten, look up at the bronze serpent and God will provide healing for you. Jesus says in the New Testament, just like the bronze serpent was lifted up. And it brought salvation, healing to the people who gazed upon it. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. I may not know you. I may not know where you're from. I may not know what you're going through this morning. But here's what I do know. Look up to the cross of Christ and see salvation. See Hope that only comes through his life, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his burial, but his resurrection, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is your hope and the hope for any division that may exist among us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the next several weeks. In these beginning chapters of 1 Corinthians, so germane to where we are now in the world. Father, raise our hopes as we study your word together that we may see you, that we may know you, that we may be trained by you, that we may make a difference for you in this world. It is in Jesus' name everybody said.